And now, join Kevin Hart as he dives into the minds of some of your favorite celebrities. This is Gold Mines with Kevin Hart. Welcome, world. You already know what it is. It's another episode of Gold Mines. And I shouldn't have to tell you what we do here because by this time, I know you know. I know you know. But damn, I got to do it anyway. Even though I know you know, I still got to make sure that you got it. And if you get it, I got to make sure you got it good. And to make sure you got it good and that you received it right, I have to double down with more information. What do we do here? Well, people, we get inside the minds of amazing comedians, amazing entrepreneurs, entertainers, actors, actresses. I mean, pretty much the entire world of talent. We tap into that ecosystem. And today's show will be no different. A lot of gold will be dropped in this episode because I'm not only talking to an amazing comedian, I'm talking to an amazing friend. I'm talking to a friend that's got such a great backdrop of my story and our stories that it is beyond, I got to be honest, it's beyond funny to think about just our, our beginning, <laughs> our beginning stages in comedy, uh, the craziness that we have been a part of, the comics that we have seen come through. Um, and that we've grown to have amazing relationships with. Um, although our careers at one point, you know, they, they went in two separate directions and two separate paths. I love that we both have found our own ways and are now navigating in spaces of our own and are finding success and pretty much defining, defining our stance in this business as a, as a real individual that deserves the title of comedian. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome to Gold Mines, Big J Okerson. Oh my God. What's Big up, buddy? Fucking J. How are you, man? <laughs> I'm doing great, man. We do have such a hilarious history. And what's so funny about it is uh, when we started off, like all the people, like in the wake of your career, that it's like people don't believe that they have these stories with you. Just like, I mean, damn, from like my cousins or people who I was friends with, and we'd go play basketball and play video games and shit. It's so funny. They tell somebody that while they work at like, you know, the mall still. And they're like, yeah, Kevin Hart came over to my house to play video games once. Like, all right. This is Gold Mines, hosted by Kevin Hart. Emmy Award winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We return to Gold Mines, hosted by Kevin Hart. 
I mean, literally, we can go. I think there's so many different levels to the idea of story. Let me let me give people some context. First of all, uh, guys, you may actually know the name Big J, not just for stand-up comedy, but Jay uh, also co-hosts The Bonfire uh, with Robert Kelly, another real funny comedian, uh, which is on Sirius XM, uh, his special, his special, which I watched. That's right. I watched mainly because he yelled at me a little bit and forced me to, and I wasn't aware, but I fucking watched it. It's called Dog Belly. Uh, guys, he released this, uh, I think it was back in April, Jay, on YouTube? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, right in yeah, April. Back in April. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's the world of things that you can make yourself familiar with the amazing talent that he is. Now, when we talk about our story, um, you know, we both came up in the Philadelphia comedy scene. And, you know, in the scene in the early stages, the amateur, the amateur, um, the amateur, I guess you could say, the amateur world of comedy in Philadelphia, it was one that was kind of cool because oh, yeah. um, at the time, I think, Jay, it was you, myself, uh, Toure, uh, Buck Wild, um, you know, who else do we have? We had Kurt Metzger. Shouts out to Kurt Metzger. Oh, my God. Um, uh, we can go. Oh, I to... know. Everybody break out. Denny Live. <laughs> Break out Denny Live. You can go to um, what's our guy? Was it was it Wiz? Wiz um, the legendary Wid. Oh God, what's his name? The Wid. 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 Yes. Wid. Uh, I mean, you had like Tommy Too Smooth back then in Philadelphia. Uh, we had Ronnie. Uh, Ronnie Long. Ronnie Long. Uh, um, Michael Black. You know Charles there, so. Walden. Michael Blackston. Charles Walden. So you know comedy in Philadelphia. It had a like it had a real personality. And also where it we did it. It had some flair. Also where we did it at the Laugh House, it was owned at one point by uh by one of the DJs on Power Ninety Nine. So the it, it was an open mic technically, but it was sold out <laughs> and there was like a DJ like we didn't understand the concept when we went to New York of what open mic actually is, performing in front of like five comics. <laughs> on a couch with a Mr. Microphone. We were like, we were doing shows that uh, it was unbelievable. Like we didn't realize how good we had it in that scenario. No, no, no. We were, we were performing in front of sold out crowds. (laughs) D Lee was the DJ. Uh, D Lee, he was uh, the DJ of power, power 99s. Um, a radio station and he would pack this place out and it honestly was the spot to be it was the spot to be and and this amateur night was hosted by two ray which we gotta say jay um was such a polished comic right like oh, at this time we all like, just immediately looked up to him because the way he controlled that room he was he was he was the definition of Philadelphia comedy, in in my opinion, you sure. know, um, and and we also forgot Michael Sean. Shout out to Michael oh, Sean. Yeah, that Michael was another Sean. guy that was that was big down there as well. But what what ended up happening was we created this little clique, man. And in this clique, you know, we were kind of like we were inseparable, right? We were all about getting up and doing what we could to get up. And the rooms in Philadelphia is what we were frequent. And Jay, when I tell you. Big J and I have some of the funniest <laughs> bomb stories, some of the funniest, maybe maybe this isn't for me, stories. Oh, like, yeah. The shit, the shit that we were able to endure. Um, Jay, I remember your bit. You used to have the bit where you would drop your pants. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, this was your... 
That was your closing, Absolutely. right? It was the uh Yeah, I would uh I would do a joke about my uh stepfather being a weightlifter and all of his friends being bodybuilders and I would say uh you know, I would kind of make fun of like the whole look and the whole thing and then the 2001 theme would come on and uh every time it would hit the crescendos, I would take off another piece of clothing down to a uh, zebra print underwear. And it yeah. killed. Yeah. <laughs> it killed so hard. <laughs> and then the death of that joke was so funny because uh, I ultimately ended up uh, doing a gig one night. I think one of the nights I thought I was going to quit comedy forever. Michael Blackson, <laughs> Michael Blackson called me and goes, "Hey, do you want to go uh, to Minneapolis tonight and do uh, the show?" And I was like, "Yeah, absolutely." And uh, on that plane, I met Keith Robinson. We were both on that gig, <laughs> and I went out there, and I, uh, at this Minneapolis gig, it was for, like, the Minnesota Timberwolves and a bunch of their friends and stuff, and it was, I did that taking off my clothes bit, and it killed uh, that night, and Keith Robinson, who became our mentor, uh, pulled me aside, and he was like, and after I just watched Keith, by the way, he did well. He did very well on stage, but, I mean, I was taking my clothes off, so it was, like, it was nuts when I was on stage, <laughs> and he was like, yeah, it's a that's a corny thing to do because like, you know, you're a comic, like you want to say funny things. Like it's so corny to like, anybody can do that. Just get undressed. The, the joke is like fat guy in his underwear. There's no real like funny writing there or anything <laughs> impressive. So I stopped doing it for a while. And then I got into the finals against Toure, who we were talking about for like the Def Jam contest or something. And it came down to me and him and they decided not to put us on the open mic night night to do it they put us on a weekend with somebody to uh, do our five minute sets and uh and try to win this thing and it was like a, a a crowd that like paid to be there and it just wasn't like i was so used to performing for kind of like the hip-hop thursday audience they had there and kind of pandering to that audience in some to some degree and when i knew i was going against two ray i was like yo i i i gotta bring back I got to bring back the underwear bit, the bodybuilding bit, because he <laughs> raised so good. I have to win this thing. And uh, I went up there that night. Toure had already killed. He went up before me, murdered. I went up there, and my jokes are doing bad. Because all my stuff's like, you know, you couldn't have superheroes in the hood. It was just like the most humdrum, <laughs> like pandering white guy in a black crowd shit. And they're not enjoying it. And then I was thinking to myself, like, maybe I should just bail with a joke and get out of here without like uh, taking my clothes off. But I just started talking almost like mechanically. I was just like bodybuilders though. And that song came on and I took my, uh, I took my shirt off on the first part. <laughs> and usually I say everything I took off got an explosion of laughter, people jumping up. It was like Def Jam. <laughs> and this time no one cheers or screams. You just hear a voice go, Oh my God. And then as I was <laughs> as I was unbuttoning my pants and turning around, I was like, stop, stop doing it. But I didn't. And I dropped the pants and you hear someone go, Jesus Christ. And then when I when that song would end, I'd use I would just be standing there in this pose. And I was so used to the crowd being so like bent over with laughter. I would pull my pants back up and be like, good night. I'm Big J. And blah. And it was dead silence with me in my underwear. It was, it was, and then someone just goes, what the fuck? 
And then it felt like it took three hours to pull my pants back up and uh, walk off oh, the stage. God. And uh, so Keith was right. You know, I shouldn't have done the joke. You know, there's a story. Oh. I want to uh, tell more about our like coming up shit because there's great stuff. But there's a story I'm so. Di- yes, we have to. I'm so dying to tell you this story because it's okay. so. Um, it's just interesting, like a telling of our like relationship and what happened. You know, when you, uh, you know, a lot of people, I don't know who knows your like, entire trajectory. But it was so interesting and fun to watch, like, really. I mean, you went to Montreal. You got a pilot with Apatow. Apatow started putting you in things. Uh, uh, you were the mm-hmm. camera guy in a long came And all these things were happening that maybe weren't on, like, household name scale yet. But it was crazy to me. But because of that kind of, like, uh, immediate, like, you know, train was rolling for you. And not – I mean, I'll always, I always say this, too, whenever I talk about you. You put in the work far before we ever needed to or should have. I'd pick you up to go play basketball or to come play Madden or whatever, and you'd be like, "Take me oh to the post. God. Take me to the post office." Uh, why? I'm dropping off this headshot and a tape uh, to a college agent. Mm-hmm. A college agent. Mm-hmm. We only have 15 minutes. You got to do 45 minutes on those things. You're like, I'll figure it out, mm-hmm. and you did. And I always so that's was very telling of what you were going to do. But then it's an interesting thing being faced with it so much when I'm you know I had a kid very young and I'm broke and I remember. I remember giving a Groupon ticket to an Outback Steakhouse waiter one time for a discount, and there was a Soul Plane billboard like outside the window. <laughs> and you're like, okay, all right. So, so it um, you know, it's it's quite a shadow uh, to put you to put, put myself in. Nobody was putting me in it. You know, what I mean, like yeah. it was just your own kind of thing. You're like, yeah. you see, like what could happen for somebody. And I was just taking, by the way, I, I didn't have like a, I guess I had a technically slow trajectory, but I was always moving up like slowly into things and, yes. and getting the stuff. But like, there was no, like uh there was no level jump at all. And, and watching that was interesting. So then, you know, things are going amazing for you. And this is the time you're starting to play arenas. And I'm, uh, I'm in Sacramento the same time as you. And I'm there blown away in my mind. I'm like, whoa, I go, I'm headlining you know it's like a seven show five day <laughs> at the punchline or whatever so I, I let you know i go hey we're both in town here at all if you want to and you go come by the hotel i go yeah sure absolutely i'll come to the hotel so i get in a i call a cab this is before ubers i get in a cab and the cab driver's going um he's like why are you going from like a uh, hotel to hotel and I went, oh, you know, I figured this is like a stranger. So I go, this will be interesting enough. I go, oh, you might find this pretty cool. I go, uh, you know, Kevin Hart's in town playing the Arco Arena. I go, we're old friends, and I'm doing the uh, Sacramento Punchline all weekend. So I'm going to go uh, visit him for a minute and say hi. <laughs> and he's like, oh, man. And he starts asking a lot of questions about me. You're at the Punchline? Yeah. Oh, I'm that seven shows, dude. Oh man, that that's so cool. And and you know, how long have you been doing it? And you know Kev from where? And but and we're going on and on. And then he just goes awkwardly, sort of in the middle of the trip. He goes, Can I get some tickets, you think? And I was like, uh, yeah, man. Just let me know which show. He goes, There's more than one show? And I went, Yeah, I'm doing like seven shows. <laughs> he goes, Oh no, I meant for Kev's show. And I was like, Oh, no, I don't think so, man. So then we don't talk the rest of the drive, and he drops me off at your uh, your hotel. And uh, I get out, and he go- he gives me a card before I get out. He goes, hey, it's hard to get cabs around here. 
give me a call. Give me five minutes when you're going to leave and I'll drive you back to your hotel. And I was like, all right, cool. So I go, I meet you. Uh, I meet you in the gym of your hotel, which weirdly enough, had an, it had an outside entrance from the hotel. It wasn't yeah. in the hotel. It was very yeah. odd. And so we're sitting there like, you know, I'm, I'm hanging out with you for a few minutes. And then we go outside and when we walk outside. It like shuts the city down. So it's like every people are coming out of their buildings and cars are stopping as Kevin. Hart, and I know because I'm unknown uh, pretty much at this point that I'm like, it looks like I'm protecting him from them is they just think I'm like a security. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, no one's going like, oh, it's Big J and Kev. They're going like, oh, it's Kevin, like the guy who has to make sure he doesn't get uh, attacked. So we go inside. This is all just being faced with like these things, you know, it's like, uh, you know, like your success is so impressive. And it's like at the same time, you're like, you have that thing where you're like, what the, this is a time where I'm still relatively broke considering, you know? Um, and, and we go up to your room and I just remember, and you're just being the sweetest, dude. You're like, uh, like, you want a lobster? We can grab you a lobster. Everyone's having lobster. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then uh, Spank was there. You called Naeem. You called Naeem a few times. You're like, yo, get up here, man. Jay's here. And he was like, me and Jay wasn't that cool back in Philly. <laughs> I was like, he's kind of right. So, I mean, we never had a problem. We just weren't like tight at all. Uh, Spank I was friends with. So I was bullshitting with Spank for a little bit. And uh, and then you were showing me um, you were with your guy and you were on the computer like, yo, look at the intro for the new special. And like, it's like explosions and you shoot out of the floor. And I'm like, OK. <laughs> and, I, and then I'm looking around this room. I'm like, all right, I want to connect with Kev on this like this level on like, you know, remember us? You know what I mean? And I go, uh, I look over and your boys are all playing Xbox. And I go, I go, hey, you know what, dude? Some things never change, right? I'm like, uh, still bring your Xbox with you everywhere I go. I bring my Xbox, too. I bring it in the book bag everywhere. And then I hook it up in the room. And you go, you go, oh, no, no. We just get like a send a runner to get one when we land. And then we uh, we just leave it for the housekeepers. And I was like, I have to go. <laughs> so so I go. I go, I got to go get ready for my shows. <laughs> so so I, I leave and I call this cab guy and the guy, you're going to love this dude. The guy picks me up and he starts right away. He's like, how was it, man? Was, was it great? I was like, yeah, it wasn't a make a wish, man. Like I know him. Like it was great. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, it was, uh, like, it was great, man. It was good to catch up with him and stuff, you know? And he's like, that's cool, man. Oh, and then he God. goes, and then he goes. I feel, uh, he goes, I feel really, really awkward and bad about earlier when I asked you for tickets to Kev's show. He goes, if those tickets for your show are still on the table, man, I'd really love to come. And I was like, yeah, man, sure, I'll get you some tickets to the show. And he goes, I'll bring my girl. He's like, oh, man, he goes, she's going to be so impressed. I'm going to be like, oh, man, I know the comedian. Uh, we can meet you and stuff after. I'm like, yeah, sure, man. I'm like, whatever you want. He's like, oh, man, it's going to be so cool. My girl's going to think I'm so cool. And he's just like. Being way over, way over complimentary, and then it's like a quiet twenty-five minute drive back to the hotel. And when we get back to the hotel, I, I'm like starting to get out of the car, and I go, "Hey, man, uh, I go, you want to tell me uh, like your info and what show you want to come to?" And he just looks back and goes, "Yeah, dude, I'm not gonna come." <laughs> he goes, "I'm not." <laughs> he just wanted to make me feel better for the drive. <laughs> I swear to you, I, I went back I'm to the hotel. You, I went back into my hotel room and I called my mom. <laughs> I was like, "Mom, did I do the people, right thing?" 
to the to the listeners, I want you to understand like Jay is Jay is possibly one of the best storytellers because he he paints the pictures so perfectly clear. <laughs> and my laughs come from like the visual <laughs> the visual of Jay in these moments. <laughs> because oh, Jay yeah. Jay is like he's just he takes it all in and then later he tells you like <laughs> his process of how he how he broke it down. I'm very emotional. As we were having these Yes, like as as it was coming too. And I think the the beauty of our relationship, Jay, like you said something earlier on where you're like, you know, like Kev, all right, you went on this thing, man, that was dope to see, but you know, I was over here and I, I'm I'm seeing progression for myself as well. I think the thing that I always noticed with you, it was never, you never not wanted to work. I think what you battled with, you battled with the, the the idea of what was right versus what wasn't, right? And and meaning like there there is an idea attached to like the dream and the concept that sometimes doesn't fit the landscape of reality. And for you, you know, it was like, "Lo, I got a kid. I got real responsibilities. I can't just go and sit down up here and wait to do what? Like nah, I'm right. eating and and what? Like where's the where's the comedy coming in? Where is the pay eventually coming from? Are they booking or not? Like it doesn't seem like this is the best route when I can go here and make money. So I think I think your battle in the beginning was the battle of real responsibilities. Like yeah, you know, well, you well, you were dealing with much more. Yeah, when it, by the time Isabella was born, my daughter was born. Um, I luckily had at least sort of like, I mean, it wasn't that it was like kind of touch and go, but I was good with the clubs in New York City. Yes. So like I was able yes. to work and kind of make a living at that. And then I really, I mean, besides, you know, obviously Keith, who did uh, so much for us, like as far as that, getting us in the clubs and getting us kind of affiliated with the right people. Um, I did that. And then I had just amazing people, whether it be Bobby Kelly at, uh, at one point, David Tell, Patrice, but David Tell. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, Patrice O'Neill did with me for a while, but David Tell for like almost like eight, nine years. I was like one of his like steady, like monthly go to like feature. Like I would go for him on the road and able to kind of like pull an audience from that myself. You know what I mean? But it took a lot of time. And David Tell, he was like David Tell was a really big influence for you as well, though. Like, sure. Oh, that's yeah, somebody yeah, yeah. who you 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 were truly like. Um, blown away by, you know, his approach to comedy, his style of comedy. Um, you know, that was like your, that was your guy. That was the guy that you were like just in awe of. So I think that was so dope for Dave to take that type of liking to yeah. you and for you to find a level of alignment with him you know, I always, at that point in your career and get I, some consistency. It was interesting too because I used to, before I started doing that with him, I used to get called a lot for people saying like, you're doing a tell, you're doing a tell, you're doing a tell. And mm-hmm. it was always in some kind of like it was like if I would get into another club, the my contemporary comics would all be like, I don't know how he's doing the thing. He's just doing a tell. And so I eventually mm-hmm. asked a tell to watch me. And I was like, this was interesting. He never even said if he thought I was or wasn't. He just asked me if I wanted to open for him. And that was like the beginning of me opening for him. And I wonder if there was something where he thought maybe like if he kind of kept me close, like I'd have to kind of develop my own thing. You know what I mean? Like I don't. He never, wow, so, so he never said never, anything, but I just never like thought I was like I don't think he would have me on the show if he thought I was just mimicking him. Do you know what I mean? Well, I don't think I don't think it's a thing of mimicking. I think right? in the beginning think, it is, like, though. I think in the beginning when, it is. In the beginning, it for sure is. Well, you're 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 
the style of comedy that attracts you to comedy is the style that you're trying to to replicate. Sure. But you're also trying to find your own voice in it. I mean, think about me with JB Smooth in the beginning stages. Sure. Right? Like JB Smooth, I was so blown away by what JB would do to a goddamn stage and the level of energy that JB Smooth had. I was trying to mimic the energy. I was trying to mimic the the idea of music incorporated with the set. Like so you're not intentionally um, doing things, you know, with the like the idea or concept of I'm stealing this. You are you are such a fan yeah. of the style and it's and it's it's you're basically you're basically replicating the thing that you think you have to do. You think yeah. that this is the the road to success. Yeah, you know, you know, it's a, the, you know, it's a funny story I tell about me and you all the time was the first time Keith brought us to New York, me and you. Yeah. And we went, yeah. I'll never forget this. It was, uh, he brought us to Gotham. He was hosting it, I think. And uh, Bill Burr was on there. Bill Burr was still doing a joke about like, they say this medicine cures whatever, but the side effects, <laughs> like he was still doing that. <laughs> and we watched Orny Adams that night. Of all oh people. Orny Adams. And Orny Adams oh opened his joke. And I remember like somewhat of the concept of the joke was like he saw he's he's a hypochondriac and he saw a sign on a bus that said one in 10 people have lupus. And there was only like uh, him on the bus or something like that. And then uh, later at the end of his set, he said he had to make some phone call that was crazy. And then the girl goes, is this the guy with lupus? I mean, you looked at each other <laughs> like we just watched someone make an, uh, you know, an atom bomb. <laughs> we're like, what? It was the biggest. We're like, was, we were mind blown. Yeah, it was like the call back a call to back. a joke. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. It, we were we were mind blown <laughs> at, at what he did with the joke, how the joke was called back. And, you know, that was a moment of realization like that. We're we're not we're not comics yet. Right. Like yeah. we we get the idea of funny, but we don't understand the work that goes into like really being funny and really giving a definition of who you are while doing it. And Keith, to your point, gave us that crash course. Here's what I want to say to you, Jay. Right. Like, you know, as you talk about um, the tell of it all. Right. Who else uh, at that time, once we got to the city, acted as an inspiration? Because you said Patrice, Patrice you said a tell, but then your circle, you know, your circle started to grow. I know Greg Giraldo was also someone else uh, that that you were fond of. Uh, yeah, what, what, other, like, what other names? I mean, Patrice was amazing to me just because of what he did. I mean, like, you know, I'll always say Patrice is the reason I sit on a stool on stage because I watched him go. Just the idea from watching the crowd's reaction to that big presence with very aggressive humor, the difference I saw with the audience from him sitting, standing and looming over them versus sitting and making them kind of come to him was such a, that was the biggest inspiration as far as like that kind of stuff goes. Cause like, I was like, same thing. It's like, I'm going to, you know, my stuff's pretty aggressive <laughs> with the audience. So like, uh, not in a nasty way. I just mean like you're asking absurd and pretty like outlandish shit. So uh, you know, I, I like the sitting down kind of brings that, but I mean, so many people, even like in our contemporaries, man, I mean, like Kurt, I mean, what an amazing joke. Kurt Metzger from day one was an, a, a high level joke writer. He had to learn how to perform. Mm -hmm. I learned how to perform mm -hmm. far before I learned how to like write like uh, good jokes. But the other interesting thing, mm -hmm. Kevin, you know, this too. And this is a difficult when you, I see someone like, uh, like, uh, you know, young Pete Davidson or something, get these pops when they're so young, uh, you know, Thank God it seems like Pete handles it pretty well, you know. 
uh, all things considered, and he's very talented because being put in that limelight, and you were to some degree, when you really don't have much life experience. That was the interesting yeah. thing, you know. So when we start doing comedy, I'm still doing jokes about living at my mom's house, or you know, uh, yeah, you know, not having money for this or that, or you know, being broke, and, sh- and it's such a you know, you had jokes yeah. about riding the bus and all that stuff, you know, public transportation and shit. It was such a like interesting thing. You don't have much to talk about it. So that's the the you know, I tell people that when I meet newer comics who are a little older, and I know people have done great, uh, like Mike uh, Vecchione started at almost uh, 30 years old. But I always tell those people, don't be discouraged starting later because you really have to learn performance now. Like, you've got a lifetime of stories already. You know what I mean? Like, you've got you mm-hmm. built these stories. That's, mm-hmm. that's such an important thing for people. And um, Well, you got you got stuff to talk about. You got bandwidth. Mm-hmm. You got experiences. But you say, right? and that's, but, in that, like- but in that learning to perform, I thought was interesting, going back to, like, the Atel and, like, the mimicking. It's like you mimic until you understand what it is that they have that you like, and you can extract that without mimicking them. Do you know what I mean? So it's like I'd work with yes. like a, like a Tony Roberts is a great example. Like I learned from Tony Roberts, like the uh, the the, the words, just picking the right words. You know, what I mean, in sequence, like the ridiculousness and absurdity of words. Uh, you're watching a Dane Cook, and you're like, you know, you can be a little physical and silly sometimes. You don't have to be so serious and. You know what I mean? Everything doesn't have to be like a social fucking point. <laughs> like some things could just be stupid. More gold mines with Kevin Hart after this. Emmy award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in LA, a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a joke fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Now back to Gold Mines with host Kevin Hart. When do you think you really cracked the code of discovery of self? When do you think you, when do you think you figured it out? Like at what point um, did you go, okay, wow, this is the space that I should be operating in. And this is my voice. This is my voice on stage. Like that, that I'm not only comfortable, not only comfortable with, but I'm very secure that this is the road to my success. Embarking on this one, um, I was probably when I felt like kind of like I was like making myself a little a little unique in the moment was when I was, like I said, kind of dredging away. It's funny, like the uh, the the business change, like the road business changed, like within our career, sort of. There was in the very beginning of it, if you were able to get out there, they were still giving you a chance to build an audience, but it very quickly became if you didn't bring an audience already, they weren't booking. Uh, so I was mm-hmm. either opening for people. Uh, or I was just like in these clubs, like doing tons and tons of spots a night. And at the same clubs, every the com- comedy cellar, six, seven nights a week, you know? And I would go, <clears throat> they always put me because of my content and stuff towards the end and being dirty. And I, but the school that I, that, that, that was for me, I was going after David tell pretty much directly almost every night after a tell and Godfrey some nights, you know, going very last and I would go up there, and uh, Artie Fuqua was always the host at that time through those years. And uh, I know he talked to the audience a bit, so I would just abandon jokes because I watched that, that's, that staff particularly. 
and without ever naming names of a comic, but just someone who did like the same kind of set all the time. I saw mm-hmm. the staff walk out and this is the staff who I know likes that person and like, you know, hangs with that person on mm-hmm. stage. But I watched them roll their eyes and mouth the words of like the final joke like thing. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, wow, man. And these this staff has to see me every day. I'm like, so I would ask Artie. I'd just go, what's the, what's going on here, Artie? Like, what's going on with the audience? And he would just kind of point out people, and we would just roll on it, on that. And it started becoming okay. a thing where instead of telling my, you know, you said I was like st- sort of a storyteller at that time more on stage. And I was like, rather than boring the uh, staff with these long stories, I'll pick a story, and I'll talk to the crowd and, like, lead them into that story eventually. But, like, I'll, most of my set will be just talking to the crowd. And then it became I would just get material from talking to the crowd it would remind me of another story of talking to them and it would just and it kind of became uh what separated me a bit was like being able to kind of work that crowd and and to say finding my lane and when i started doing uh legion of skanks with uh dave smith and lewis j gomez when i started doing that with them 12 years ago now too it was uh broadcasting like really hit for me it feeds that same thing it's not heavily prepared uh material and everything it's just kind of go with the flow you know what i mean like go with it and uh and that immediate like call and response of something you just said just thinking of like uh so i, I love yeah, your that. crowd your crowd work has always been amazing i mean you know when when i think about the just for laughs comedy festivals and i think about you know the the late shows the dirty shows and stuff like that like you know the the rapport and the fan base that you built around it um is honestly amazing and you know you kind of discovered like this this rock and roll edge uh within the space and place of comedy right and it's like you know it's not just the guy that's talking about filth it's such a it's such a clever approach to just raw conversation, raw conversation infused with amazing bits, amazing stories. And I think like, to my point earlier, you then started to define what the stand-up comedian of Big J is, right? And and the 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 fan base coming to see you knows what they're getting. They know that they're getting some improv, some spontaneous. Oh, they want it. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, know, they come for it. Crowd. Yeah, it's they they yeah. want it. And it's it's. I think it's uh. I think it's amazing when you see the people um that can do it right. And you know, look when you talk about those that are new that are finding success there. I think Matt Reif um is an example of somebody that's just found uh some success with sure. the idea and concept attached to crowd work. And, you know, I don't think it's something that should be overlooked. I think, you know, understanding how hard it is to be funny on the cuff uh, really quick to come up with things that are very, very clever. Joe Coy. That's what I was going to say. Unique, like unique, uh, the idea is to be like unique uh, at it, if you can. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yes, absolutely. Thing. And the people you're naming are like absolutely great. You know, it's funny. Matt Reif is such a great uh, example of someone where I've said to many like younger comics that I know or just whatever people or even like veterans that I know, I'm just like. Matt's a good kid. Like I've met Matt several times now. He's a nice enough kid. He's doing like what he's doing. Like, you know, it's like, he's good. He's good for, you know what he's doing. And like, I don't understand. I'm like that, that, but I, you know, I'm trying to give people like uh advice on that. And I said, almost in relation with you, whereas I was just like, if you waste so much of your time looking left and right, do you know what I mean? Or, or, uh, you know, instead of just like keeping your eyes forward, like you're going to be, it's going to drive you nuts. Do you know what I mean? So you can't, cause like, almost like we said, the story I just told you about when we were in Sacramento, before that, you know, and I said I was still struggling with money and everything. Before that, um, I was, I mean, I went on tour with like Rob Zombie and Corn, like these bands like that I love, mm-hmm. like opening up for them and Slipknot I did one summer. 
And like they were asking me to do that. It wasn't like an audition. So that, that was, was like I, I, I had to in those times, like I say, also like they're the best. Some of those times are the best at our brokest. The th- me, you and Keith driving home and whoever falls asleep gets, uh, you oh know, fucked with. We all got we got pulled over by the police for littering on Keith's property because he tried to leave his trash in the car. <laughs> my my favorite, <laughs> my favorite story, my favorite story of Big J, Keith and myself. So we are driving Big J's car, right? <laughs> this is like we are driving. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah. driving Big J's car to the city. And we get to the city, and I don't know what it was. I know Keith Keith had something that he wanted to do. And, you know. I told this Jay with, I like, told okay, this with Keith uh, on the bonfire <laughs> uh, about two weeks ago. He came on before his special. <laughs> yeah, well, it, was, it was the end of the night, and Keith used my car to go yeah. to the comic strip. He uh, there was yes. no, there was another comic that he was gonna fuck, and he came down. And he just goes, "Hey, guy, he goes, hey, uh, hang out with Patrice. You and Kev hang out, with Patrice. I'm gonna be back in like a half hour. Is that cool?" And I went, "What?" And he just drove off. What? He drove off. <laughs> he floored it. And Jay Jay looked at me, and I remember I just started laughing. He took your car, stupid. <laughs> the biggest thing was the biggest thing was the acknowledgement of stupid. He just took your car, stupid. He just took my and car. Was like, and then yeah, me and then me and cut yeah. to me and Kev uh we're on the path train with Patrice going back to Patrice's house because Keith's hanging Patrice, out with his, <laughs> we had to take the baby's house. We took the train. <laughs> we took the path train back to New Jersey and walked through scary ass Jersey City. Yeah. And we went to his Shut house. Shut up, stupid. Gosh, <laughs> take it. And then he, he told you, he said, take it. And then he called us. And then he was like, no, but he had that he had that after uh, fuck energy where it was all like, he's like, oh, sorry, young fellas. You know, I just got caught up and I didn't know what to do with the thing and the bang. <laughs> oh, stupid. Take it. Shut up. Shut up and take it. Uh, I remember... I remember those moments. I remember our bombing moments in Atlantic City, uh, performing in Sweet Cheeks. I mean, you talk about some of like the craziest That's moments. That's the show. The That's they, they, they threw. Uh, I love when you hosted SNL. I love that uh, the little Easter egg when you had. Uh, it was Leslie said something about remember you from Sweet Cheeks. Yeah, in the sketch. yeah, yeah, just yeah. A little, a little small, yeah, little, yeah, when, when, a little small nudge. Yeah, when that was said, I just remember Elbow and Christine. I was like, "Yo, that's the place." <laughs> That's the sweet, we, sweet cheeks is the place. That's the only place that I think if there was ever, if there was ever a moment of like doubt that I had, like about, you know, the choice of comedy, mm. sweet cheeks, put it there. Sweet oh, cheeks shit. is the only, like in the beginning, in the beginning stages, the, the level of shut the fuck ups or get the fuck off the stages, like. Basically, I think it was a it was a male review in Atlantic City that doubled <laughs> and tripled as a nightclub or as a pool, regular pool hall possible sort of. like pool hall hangout uh, that they turned into a comedy night. So in this place, you know, you're dealing with hostile co- crowds that are waiting for the show of, and we're either stopping, interrupting, or beginning or ending it with comedy. Um, not the most organized, uh, <laughs> honestly, the most crazy. And and it was probably one of the most hood environments that I've ever partaken in. And, you know, I had to somehow find a way to bring comics up <laughs> 
to come and perform. And, and you know, I was the host. But the good thing was it was real money. So I got to get comics up there uh, consistently. But boy, oh boy, the crowds did not like it. Jay, you can get into the story because your story is real funny about how they fucking treated you. Oh, they were top. top not- well, first of all, again, just like the ski trip shows sometimes, they were, um, you know, they're stopping people from like grind dancing on each other to be like, yo, you ready for a comedy show? So it was oh like a God. it was like a player's ball at, at Sweet Cheeks. And then they would make them stop dancing for a comedy show. And then Kev, but the, my my best story from there, it was uh, I think it was Tony Roberts was going to headline it that night. You were hosting it. I came down. I brought Kurt. Kurt just came to hang. Kurt Metzger. Yeah. And Kurt is like, a like I looked the part. I did the thing up. I'm wearing the. The, the fubu sweater or the south pole yeah, yeah, sweater the and the, yeah your thing used to be the fubu tees and the yeah, fubu yeah, sweater yeah that's what you used to wear so uh so i looked the part kurt does not kurt's wearing hyper color shirts and khaki pants uh he's an art student from philadelphia but he comes down to this show and kev goes up there and kev's kev's not doing good up front and not they don't all. like him. And then somebody else goes up there and has like a pretty shitty set. And then they ask Kurt if he wants to go on. And Kurt did like the, no, no, I'm good. But Tony Roberts and Kev and me, because, you know, you want to see someone else go down if you got to go down. So, Oh, my God. You don't, like, don't want to be by yourself. He was given a speech of like the, yo, a true comedian, which, by the way, this couldn't be le- worse advice and more wrong. Yo, true comedian. Uh, goes up wherever there's a microphone available and they shamed Kurt into going up on stage and as soon as Kev brought him on stage Kurt was up next they brought him on stage and they said you goofy ass white motherfucker and they're sh- oh, like shouting shit up and Kurt stays on stage for 30 seconds he goes you know what I'm not getting paid for this I'm gonna go and Kurt walks off stage and they're kind of like uh you know booing or whatever Kev goes up there and talks to him for a minute he gets him like you know at least calm again and then he goes I remember bringing your next comic to the stage, uh, Big J. And I go up there and I start, my instinct in this room was always to just start going, I'm like, what's up, black people? This is a really great show you guys have, man. Two o'clock in the morning, you guys are all looking good. And someone goes, stop kissing ass, motherfucker. (laughs) And I went, went, I'm not kissing ass. I'm just saying this is a really great show. And you guys, you know, black people, you guys look great. And then I heard like a thud hit the stage. And I looked down, and it was uh, someone threw like a dinner roll, like at the stage. Yeah, yeah. broken. So I was like, yeah. "Oh, you know what, guys? I'm not going to sit here while you throw shit at me. So fuck you. I'm out of here." And I walk off stage, and Kev meets me in the front of the stage. You met me in the front, and you go, uh, "We're talking like off microphone, but like in front of the crowd." And you were like, "No, man, you got to do at least like ten minutes." And I was like, "If you don't," he goes, <laughs> he, goes he goes, "If you don't do ten, he goes." And you were just looking out for me because Dan and those guys were such unscrupulous pieces of shit that you were like they're gonna try to not pay you if you don't do the time and that was why we all did it was because it was lights out money to us it was like 300 bucks if you survive 10 minutes so it was like you know we cancel city spots to do that place because the money and uh yeah sweet cheeks was the big check for so so kev goes um he goes come on man you got to do at least i was like he goes if i calm him down will you try to come back up and i was like you'd have to calm him down pretty hard and Kev goes on stage, and you gave, I mean, what it can only be described as a Martin Luther King speech. It was so <laughs> concise. And you go, we're not animals, people. And, and you guys are acting like animals. Look, you can't just boo these guys because they're white. I bring these guys here because they're funny. You trust me to bring the guys that are funny? 
you you got to give them a second to talk and blah 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 and then you go so are you guys ready to show them that we're not animals and they start clapping he goes you guys ready to, for some more show yeah are you ready for your next comic they're going crazy you go one more time for big J. and then they all stopped clapping except one big fat lady was just like like smart and when i got on stage like a dummy i go I just like start over. I go, what's up, black people? You guys are having a great show. And they started, <laughs> and they started throwing chicken wings at me. Yeah, yeah. So they threw, chi- they threw chicken wings at me. And then, and then I left the stage again. And then Kev goes back on stage. And, dude, you started murdering by just doing like uh, you were just calling the guy, some guy in the back, a fat bitch. You're like, you fat bitch. You're throwing this chicken wing. You fat bitch. He goes, you're a fat bitch. You kept calling him a fat bastard. And this is such a, you know, appropriate to the time because it was new. But you start doing the "I want my baby back" song, like you, mm-hmm, you're just still mm-hmm. you're like there's still meat on this one, you fat motherfucker. You know you want to come forget. And while you're doing that song in slow mo, that guy just pegs Kev right in the shirt with a chicken wing. Right in front, no and then, fucking. But everyone's the, but everyone's gonna get paid. That's my chicken wing story. Yeah, that's my chicken wing story. So every, oh okay, <laughs> look, I ain't gonna be disrespected. <laughs> yeah, you go. Oh, I think we, I I think we went to I think we played blackjack at the casino afterwards with chicken grease all over us. Uh, fucking it was it was but by the way you take those moments away you don't have the character you don't have the you know you don't have the the concept or idea of standing in it you fear it and and what sweet cheeks did for us it took that fear away like we've seen the worst so there is no idea concept attached to bombing that's worse than this well, this is the worst it's kind of the advantage we had when we came i remember when i when we, you know, we Keith would get us our auditions at the clubs, and when I passed the comic strip, they, uh, somebody was like, "How many people were in the audience?" Because it's always so shitty there. I was like ten, and they were like, "You passed with ten people in the audience." I go, "Yeah, but no one was throwing anything or cursing at me or like tell me to get the fuck off the stage." Like they were just sitting there to listen and watch the show. I go, "That was easy. 1,000%. <laughs> that was an easy thing." One thousand percent. It's 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 nothing nothing compared to the shit that we saw. You know, I I remember uh, Buck Wild where we kind of started to like see what made Buck special. You know, Buck Wild to my listeners is another comedian that came from Philadelphia. But the beauty of Buck was how Buck would handle these particular crowds, oh, right? Yeah. Like. He was a guy that fed off of the negative energy. He was a guy that that thrived in the in the space of chaos. I remember there was one show, Jay. I'm not sure if you were there. Were you at that show when that guy uh, stood up and threw the drink on Buck when he went at the Laugh House? Yes, Buck was yes. performing. Yeah, the guy yeah. stood up. And he threw, he threw the drink. It was like a small crowd, small amateur night crowd. Not even crazy. And Buck was saying something. And the guy ended up throwing a drink on his face. And Buck took his glasses off and was like, Slam you know, look, look, I ain't here to do nothing crazy. He like turned it into like a peace treaty moment. And we was all in the back like, all right, I guess that's the take on it. Okay. <laughs> I guess that's one way to handle it. Yeah, I guess that's one way to handle it. But that's the stuff that really like – I, I like as I started to do the colleges or as the comedy clubs, you know, started to get a little bigger. The idea, concept of bombing or not doing well was nothing that ever entered my mind and and had me in a space of shook or fear. Like, fuck, if I bomb here, what's going to happen? Like, I, I've seen the worst of it. And I think, you know, for you, I think I can say the same thing. I've seen you stand in crowds and in atmospheres well, I think that it's, were it's, not I think conducive of comedy. I think no, definitely not. But I'm saying it's also like that's such a milestone in comedy when you realize and you don't even know if you realize when it happens. Like silence 
not scaring you at all? Do you know what I mean? The, oh si- the silence of a crowd. Huge. Like I remember a time when there was that silence. You were like, <laughs> you know, I have a uh, an old tape uh, somewhere. Uh, I can't have seen it in years, but it was like me, Kurt, you, Breakout, Two Ray, all at the Laugh House. It's a little tiny Super Eight tape. And I was looking at it one time, and Kurt. It's such a funny thing about that the performance. Like Kurt would just tell his jokes. And after each punchline, he would just ask if the light was for him. <laughs> like he just wanted to get off stage so bad when it wasn't going good. He goes, Is that light for me up there? Is that my light right there? Is that for me? Because his jokes just it ate was a, that shit. was the, the 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 polite that was the polite side. Do you have a can uh, I get out of, here? of comedy that was attached to Kurt? Absolutely. That was a polite side. I gotta ask you this, and I don't want to shift gears too fast, but I want to ask you just about the transition into radio. Sure. Um, how is it that you got into radio, Jay? You know, for my listeners, I mean, because it's such a it's such a nice gateway for comedy, right? Yeah. For the personalities that we are to get behind a microphone um, and and have high volumes of success in the space of radio, podcasts, etc. For you, what was it that helped you make that decision, and what was the first opportunity that presented itself? Well, the first thing was. Uh so, like Louis J. Gomez, man, he's the uh, one of the owners of Gas Digital, which is the network we're on for uh, Legion of Skanks. We started that as just like three by. See, I, I'm a little fur. Well, I mean, now what's you know, so many years later now, but like I was like longer in comedy than them. I was sort of like their mentor in some way, and it was like, hey, hang out and do this recording thing with me. But it really became like uh, very quickly. Obviously, it was like a three man show. You know, what I mean, it was like three personalities mm-hmm. kind of coming together, and we just loved doing it. I remember being excited that it was like the end of the first year that we had like 400 listeners. I was like, that's crazy. Um, <clears throat> it was 12 years ago now. And like, I just enjoyed doing it. And we started doing it in front of a live audience. And I just felt like it was a real good outlet for like my, the kind of humor I want to do. You know, it helps me find material in the conversation and it helps me find, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, and I said, just that instant gratification of like, you know, it was, and it's also content, getting people feedback. I don't like, tape my sets always i didn't have a lot a, a lot of stuff out in specials outside of like i guess maybe like a half hour comedy central and premium blends like smaller stuff like that mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then uh and then from just hanging around those comedy clubs me and dan soder would hang out all the time and me and dan just had this insane just conversational chemistry when we just get together we just knew all the same references and he's a little younger than me too but like we just had this real uh kind of chemistry together and then my girlfriend christine who's the producer of the show uh would just mm-hmm. say to us when we were outside like smoking and just talking shit outside she'd be like why don't you guys like do something together or, like like try to do a radio show so me and him just recorded about nine hours of like me and him just shooting the shit and like uh you know kind of like a demo reel for it and uh my my late manager uh dave kimowitz pieced together like a 10 minute kind of reel from that gave it to Sirius XM as a thing uh, comedy central radio was interested but more in Dan because like you know I again understandably it's like a nationwide thing and like you know I've got uh, quite a history of you know things people are probably going to yell at one day but like uh, you know if you get like too pop you get too mainstream like people are going to be like what about the you know you got to do the it's yeah. a joke tour <laughs> the yeah. worst thing ever yeah so like yes. um but yeah but like the, when we started doing it it just rolled man and then we just you know i've been now at sirius xm for nine years now and dan uh a year ago just kind of expressed he wants to like you know he has different 
uh, ambitions for it, even though we have that great chemistry. He wants to like write cartoons and he wants to, you know, he wants to act. Mm-hmm. He wants to, Ben's got more of those things. You know, a big thing, man, in this business too for young comics is being also comfortable in the space that you want to be in. Do you know what I mean? Like I found out mm-hmm. through just the, the minute, I'd love it. Listen, if somebody just put me in a movie, like I'm going to be like, yeah, I'll go do that movie. But like, the auditioning process and then thing it's not my thing i don't like it. i i'm not like mm-hmm. that interested in being in it uh you know what i mean it's neat when you're in something i was in hustlers j-lo's movie hustlers is the dj in the strip mm-hmm. club i took uh my daughter to see it you know what i mean so it was great when i was on the screen like elbow her and be like eh? look at your dad on a movie screen that's crazy <laughs> but the three days of being there were not like phenomenal days for you know what i mean i feel like it's just sitting around a bunch yeah. kind of waiting. it's not my uh it's not my passion which is like fine but i've like it's not your cup of tea no, but it's like um, I said, fun being at things, but it's not my it's not my passion, is what it is. It's not that it's not my cup of tea, even it's just not my passion to do it. So like, uh, and I'm very happy, man. Like you know, if I had like a, you know, the people that I've always looked up to, and you know this from uh, us hanging out, dude. I've they want well, Howard Stern always. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. the fact that like I still don't take it for granted that every day I go in the work when I look right down the hallway, it's like the Howard Stern compounds over there. You know what I mean? And I'm mm-hmm. I'm right down the hall. So mm-hmm. that, that's. I, I try to again, have you had an opportunity to express that to him or, or to let him know just like he's a he's a person that is, uh, you know, someone that you've admired from afar for so long. And just like working under the umbrella of Sirius is just a dope thing for you, a full circle moment. Have you had an opportunity to express that? No, <laughs> nope, not once. Okay. At all. <laughs> all right. That's good. No, no. I, th- I mean, I know no, the okay. guys. I know a bunch of the guys over there like Gary and stuff, and they put me on. um I've done the wrap up show a bunch of times, but now I've never gotten to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I still have a few more years you know, before I get that interview, maybe. But you know, I get well, it's, I, it's I the piece it's of got to put out there. It's the piece of like, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Like I really, uh, yeah. You know, I found the first time. I don't know if you remember this phone call because I think you were laughing. It was did probably sound silly to you again because like I was in a one man uh, like war with myself when I'm like you know, but I remember calling you when I got my Comedy Central special when they offered me that mm-hmm. about two years or mm-hmm. about a year and a half after comedy central said they were out of the big Jay Oakerson business. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I got that. <laughs> they said they were out of it. And I guess they were back in somehow. <laughs> also, a lot of people gave me opportunities to put me back in their light. Jim Jeffries, let me open for him at Carnegie hall. Schumer put me in her show three times with no auditions. Just put me in the parts. Louis CK put me on his show three times. Like, Mm-hmm. People gave me and these little op and Ari Shafir, big one, put me on his storytelling show on Comedy Central, and they didn't want me to do it, and uh, he like demanded it almost, and they put me on, and, that, and then I was on it every year after. So like, well, that's because you you were you were a comics comic as well. I don't think you can ignore that. Like you were you were a comedian that that gained respect from other comics by just being a very funny comedian. You never tried to like. You never tried to like force yourself into places that weren't your like cup of tea or into like certain groups or cliques or whatever. Like I think you did a very good job of focusing on the job, focusing on your career and and focusing on like the environment that you felt comfortable in. But the craft is the craft and people respected you and always have within the craft. So that's why I think those opportunities have come. Well, it's also, look, I said when they come is when they come, too. I say this, if 17 years in before I got that first hour special was the time it took for me to be that proud of it, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't look, mm-hmm. I look back on your, you know, I always look back on my half hour special. I'm sure you comb through young stuff, too, where you're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like my premium yeah. blend, yeah. even though people like, you know, the, 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 
the average person will go like, no, it's a funny set. But you're like, I see the weakness all over that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what's going on. Um, but I said I called you when I got that special and I was like, you know, I was, even though you don't, don't even aren't aware of this or feel it probably, I was like, you know, in any story I've ever told and stuff, uh, I've never had like the Kev's went Hollywood thing, but I definitely have like the, I don't know, man, he's like a busy, you know, he's on a fucking, you know, yacht with Dwayne Wade. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, he's got shit going. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, but I called you to be like, you know, I apologize to you almost. That's what you were laughing at. But I was just like, no, you know, for what it's worth, dude, like I didn't reach out a lot either because I was, uh, it was hard to like face, then I have to face where I'm at. You know what I mean? It kind of was a thing. It's like mm-hmm. if I talked, so it's like I didn't want to be faced with that all the time either. So like I was, I was distant too. It wasn't just you. I said there's no story of you being Hollywood. If I would have stayed in like heavy touch, if we kept that connection like going on a daily basis, you know, when I moved to New York and said Isabella was born, we just kind of like, you know, just kind of lost touch and you and you have a insane life going on. <laughs> well, you know what it is? It's the assumption of what of what you think someone's doing. Mm-hmm. All right, and I think that's what people lose. It's the idea that oh man, they don't fuck with me, or they're not talking to me, or they don't come and like reach out to me. And it's 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 such a, it's a, for lack of a better word, it's a self inflicted perception mm-hmm. because if you're looking at it from a dual POV, then you would understand that you know just within life there are going to be changes, and within changes in atmosphere, uh, like your life is matching whatever the norm is, right? So when you talk about the wives, the kids, the the career, the shit, so your your days change and the go-tos or the consistency and how much you talk or want to talk changes because sure. you're doing it all the time. So, you know, I think my my distance or the perception of distance, it really is attached to me making sure that I find time to like shut that shit off because sure. if you're if you're making yourself available for everyone and you're having every conversation of like you know uh the the memories of or the friends from or the family with like you'll find yourself spread so thin yeah. to where you got nothing left yeah. you got nothing left and then you sitting in a crazy chair and and nobody want to nobody want to look across from you <laughs> Cause you done lost your fucking mind, and now you oh. what, what they say you in the chair where the pillows are stinking. You know, like Tracy Morgan was saying. You know, I'll always tell people uh, forever that you uh, you came after Hurricane Sandy fucked my world up. Uh, you really came in and helped me out in a way that was like saved my ass, and I'll never uh, say it. But I'm gonna tell this story, and I'm gonna I'm gonna. Uh, I don't want to say the amount. Do you care if I say the amount? Because it's funny, like when uh, in the story. Girl, yes, please. Okay. Yes. So, uh, Hurricane Sandy. I lived in Long Island at the time, and it just it took my car, my, all my clothes, everything. And I was, we were staying at a friend's house for like a month while we're getting everything recovered. And uh, Kev was calling me, and I had a feeling it was like to like kind of say, "Hey, let me throw you some money." And I was again. It's pride, t- you know what I mean? It's 2011, I guess it was. Mm-hmm. And it's like mm-hmm. pride that I have. I'm like, I don't want money. Like, I don't want money. And it's cr- and so Keith keeps calling and Keith goes, he goes, yo, answer the phone for little dummy. He's trying to call you. And I go, I know, but I think he's trying to like, gonna give me money and I'm just gonna feel like shit and blah, 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 like a loser. And he's like, he's like, dummy. He goes, he's trying to give you $10,000. And I was like, yeah, I go, Keith, that's what I mean, dude. That's like too much. That's At that time in my life, that sounded like fictitious money. And he's like, he's trying to give you $10,000. And I go, yeah, man, that's just crazy. It's too much. Uh, it's, that's just, I can't do it. 
And Keith goes, it's insultingly low. (laughs) 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 He goes, take it. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking love Keith. I really do, man. I love him. And Jay, I love I love you. I, I love I, you, I man. Mean it, man. I I I love where you are. Um, I love the success that you're having in radio. I love the serious is that as a home that we both have found comfort in. Um, you know, I love I love the fact that you know you and Bobby, man, are are rocking. You know, and, <laughs> okay. And, I tell you something. I did make the thing one day yes, as like a joke one time. I filmed a thing where I was like, you know what? I go, I love Kevin Hart's success. I go, because I found my own lane. The fact that the two of us were able to find our own individual lanes is great as I'm walking through the lobby and like the big screens behind. It's like Kevin Hart's LOL radio. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm just happy that I was able to find a little place for myself, a little pocket. (laughs) (laughs) I like I like that it's Bobby. I like that it's you. I love that you are you are you're soaring man and you know we don't need to do the same or be the same we need to fucking be happy and you need to be happy and confident in what you chose to do and you got that man like you know when I do bump into you and I see you and I come in and I fucking I was like the last one that I was that I was at was just for laughs and I was like yo like this is his shit. Like I'm, I'm in your environment. I came up and we told the story together, but I like that people were there for you. Like you got fans, you got supporters, you got people that fuck with you and Mm -hmm. your career is going to be one that goes on because it doesn't stop because you built the thing that you own. That's your now machine. You know, it's fine. I love that. I've spoke to my mom about that. And that means the world to me that you're saying that. Cause I did. It's such a, it sounds like such a lame sentence, but I was like, you know, like Kev would have to assume I'm proud of him because like his success is very visible. You know what I mean? I was like, I don't know if Kev's proud. You know what I mean? That's why I'm like, I wish Kev would like see just what I'm doing and like be like, you know, it's like, Oh wow. Like Jay's like done been doing this. So that's, that's an amazing thing to hear. Honestly. I, I, I mean it from the bottom of my heart, man. I, I, I Jay, I see everything. I, I envy one thing only about the, the sin of envy. One thing only it's, uh, how much love you get from the Philadelphia, the Sixers, and the Eagles drives me nuts. Because, it's a- and I'll tell you, I'll tell you this last story if you have to run it all. But like, this is a no, go, go, go. Finish with a bang. This is a funny one. So I know one person at all in the organization of the uh, Sixers, Matt Cord, who's the uh, in-house mm-hmm. announcer. He's the guy who's you know mm-hmm. Embiid for two. He's that guy, and I know mm-hmm. I know him well. He's a buddy, and uh, you know he's tried one, one time he said he would because i always want to get these like season tickets in this like in this good area but like uh, i always pay for my tickets so as long story short i pay and i spend a bunch of money because i want to sit close i've never sat on the seats where your feet are on the court the sideline feet on the court seats mm-hmm. i've never done that and i you know i i go to a couple games a year and like i spend the dough on it and it is what it is and i'm happy to do it and I sit where I want to sit, and it's fun. But you're not going to get on the court without, like, certain – or whatever. Or it ends up being, like, six grand a ticket or something, which is just too much. So, like, uh, I just know – I know that first row so well. It's M. Night Shyamalan, whoever he brings. Uh, mm-hmm. Philadelphia uh, lawyer Tom Klein and his child bride. Uh, mm-hmm. so I just know the guy, the sixth man, the guy who uh, owns the dorms at 
University of Pennsylvania, the old man mm -hmm. uh, is there. And I just know I look at them and every time someone they're with is looking at their phone. I just get angry. They're not appreciating their seats. So me and Christine, my girlfriend, are sitting at this game and are like, you know, fifth row seats uh, behind the Sixers bench. And I remember going like it was one of the times I'm literally complaining. I go, how do I get no love from these teams? I talk about them. I've done the thing with Preston and Steve and all. I just, there's no hookup in the world for these teams when I rep them so hard. And as I'm saying that to Christine, this guy nudges me on the back. And I turn around and he goes, he goes, dude, look. And he points to the, the Titan Tron and I'm on it. It's me and Christine. And there I was like, I was like, yo, they're giving me a little bit of love. And then Matt Cord, who's the in-house announcer, goes, Oh my God, is that him DJ right there? Now, and, and, and he goes, Did I, I didn't tell him that I was coming, Matt. I usually will tell him I'm coming. I didn't tell him. Then he goes, he goes, Oh, is that him right there? Is that my guy right there? And I even make a face like, oh, oh, this is pretty amazing. I can't believe it's happening right when I'm complaining. And then it cuts to somebody else and it goes, Is it him? And then it cuts to somebody else, is that him? And then two more people, and then it goes, Nope, here he is. It's your shick razors, beard of the game. I was just <laughs> I was just the first contestant in Schick Razor's beard of the game in the audience. He <laughs> <laughs> made his face. Yeah, man. Dude, this I is really, crazy. when they put me on the screen, I, I, I was close to putting my hand up. I was like, well, here we go. Isn't it about that time? Shit. Chick Razor's beard of the game. Chick Razor's Jay, beard. you are you are a fucking legend. <laughs> I mean it, man. Uh, do me a favor, man, for my listeners. You already know what it is. It's comedy gold mines. You know we do nothing but drop gems. With these gems that were dropped, understand that these are these are the memories. These are the memories that we hold on to. The ones that we won't let go of. These are the memories that have helped shape and mold and define us into who we are today. And I want you guys to do me a big favor and educate yourself man go watch my guy's special please go watch his special all right his special is called dog belly it dropped last year uh very very funny man also bonfire catch it okay it's him it's robert kelly it's on sirius xm um you know you can't just have funny conversations with funny stories and then not go make yourself familiar on the funny talent big j okerson is somebody that definitely deserves the look up and you will not be disappointed truly truly one of the best at his craft and i love the fact that i can see Say he's a friend and a brother, and we both are from the city of brotherly love. Well, Jersey and city of brotherly love, but but we stand on it. We stand on our road. We stand on our trajectory, uh, and more importantly, we love to go and take that trip down memory lane. And this is one that I am very very fond of. I hope you are too, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gold Mines, where we get inside the minds of amazing personnel. Today was no different. Big J Okerson. Gold Mines with Kevin Hart is a serious XM and Laugh Out Loud radio production. Executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, Mike Stein, Brian Smiley, Eric Eddings, and Eric Wyel. Produced by Danny Sellers and Leslie Guam. And engineered by Danny Sellers.